Hello again, Clive Tempest speaking. Where are we now? Well, at this moment in time, this point in time, the peak of the pandemic seems to be over, at least for the moment. But we never know, do we, what's coming? And will it reappear? The mortality rates are dropping, but the threat is still there. And now the society shows signs of increasing restlessness. Having been in isolation or lockdown, the society having just the opportunity for a bit more freedom, a bit more opportunity to roam around. People are taking that opportunity to ease their restlessness. So the birds are not singing quite as loudly in my garden. The traffic noise is slightly greater. People are speaking more loudly in their gardens and as they pass by. There's a, a release of that restlessness, tension, that has built up. And what accompanies restlessness? What always comes along with that excitation in us? Anxiety, doubt, uncertainty is also released along with the energy in that restlessness. That is why, if you want to control or contain your anxiety, you have to contain the restlessness. And where does the restlessness come from? It's the energy in you that needs a change, that needs to break away. But generally speaking, being unconscious of this, we don't use that energy productively. We let it spin off into worrying about things. And projection, projection into all sorts of possibilities. Now, oh, well, this will happen. Oh, no, it can't. Oh, well, what about, I don't know. What did they say about this? Hmm, don't know. There are no solutions that come from that kind of projective thinking. People are noticing that although this science that uh, everybody has their putting their trust in has evidently, according to the politicians at least, been giving us good advice, quite clear that there are no solutions provided by the scientists, not yet. And as we know from our experience, Mostly, any scientific progress is also accompanied by unintended consequences. There are no real solutions here. The politicians have been saying that they're following the science. Well, they won't be blamed then, will they? 
the politicians, I mean. Because science has the solution. Well, does it? Don't we, don't we rather make a god of science? I don't know where you're listening. I don't know whether English is your native language. But anybody who is a native English speaker and who listens to the media, broadcast media, radio, television, might notice, now that I've mentioned it, that whenever the broadcasters mention science, there's a slight reverential tone to it. They say, scientists have told us, and science tells us. It's like reverential tone to that word. We've built it up. We've made it promise us solutions. But our restlessness wants to doubt that, doesn't it? There are no solutions. There may not be a vaccine. What are we going to do? Are we going to be able to go on holiday this summer? When are we going to be able to fly to other countries? When will that shop be open? When will I get back to work? When will my children go back to school? How much will we have lost through all of this? It's all possibilities, speculation. Let's pull back to the restless energy that sends all this stuff up into the brain. Let's learn how to contain the restlessness. Essentially, you have to train yourself to hold the tension inside you, the restlessness inside you, contain that energy and not let it get to the brain. In other words, you have to train yourself not to think. What's that he's saying? Not thinking. Hmm. I'll return to that. Well, I'm always returning to that. Now, what else can we do to help ourselves in this situation? Contain the restlessness and collect yourself into a place where you can be with the situation as it is now, where there's no story. No story. Every time you hear yourself telling a story about the future or about the past, just chop it off. Stop doing it. I'll say more about that too. So, contain the restlessness. Collect yourself where you are now, without any recollection, without any memory, without any story from the past, and without speculating about the future. Collect yourself in the place where you are right now. I'm here. This is all there is. 
This is all there is. And thirdly, connect yourself to what's most real in you, to the truth of you, to the love in you, to what's most real in you. Be with what is in this situation, as it happens to be, right now. Now, as you know, I talk about a transition between living a psychological life and living a more conscious life. And I say that this is what is taking place in the collective of humanity, and it's part of the much bigger story of the evolution of consciousness. And what we're encountering with the current pandemic is a little stimulus to accelerate that process. And there are two important things to know about that transition. It cannot happen while the person is preoccupied with thinking about themselves. And secondly, it cannot happen if the person refuses to be where they are in their body, in the situation, as it happens to be at any moment, here, now. It can only happen if we train ourselves to have an empty head and to be in the situation, in the body, as it happens to be, at any moment. So the pressure of the times and the pressure on anyone who is susceptible to the, this movement of the evolution of consciousness, the pressure is on us to stop thinking and be in the body with the present situation in front of us, just as it is, with no judgment, no attitude towards it. We have to stop telling our stories. We have to stop thinking. And we have to learn to listen and see what's in front of us. You see, we've been deluded in the psychological age into believing in the, the science, if you like, of psychology. We've been deluded into believing that there is such a thing as a mind. People happily talk about their mind, body and spirit. The only thing that actually you can point at is your body. You can't show me your mind or your spirit. And maybe that's because they're not real. They were concepts that served a purpose. But in the evolution of consciousness, their purpose is done. What you have is a body with an intelligence in it. You're intelligent, aren't you? And you have a body, don't you? You have an intelligence you have intelligence or you are intelligent you have a body and it's quite clear that you are somewhere in this existence 
Those are the three factors that make up your life, your intelligence, your body, and where you are. Can we please see through this delusion of a mind? You know, I think it was in the 1880s, Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, visionary, declared that God is dead, famous saying. What did he mean by that? Well, he didn't mean that God, life, reality is dead, obviously not. What he meant was that the intellectual belief in God as a solution to the human condition had had its day. And he saw that we were about to turn the God up in heaven into a God that we could see in ourselves. He saw that we would look to ourselves for solutions. And so it was, of course, throughout the 20th century. And while he was writing... And while he was, uh, I believe he was suffering ill health and uh, died an early death, as far as I recall, the young Sigmund Freud was not far away and dreaming up psychoanalysis, the science of psychology. And of course, the mind then gathered a great deal of intellectual weight You know, it was only in the 17th century that the mind started to have any significance as this thing we conceive of as the mind. In Shakespeare, the word mind simply indicates my intent. I have a mind to do something. Mindful meaning aware. And by the way, the word self, as we use it, as we've been using it certainly throughout the 20th century and how it's been used in psychology and in spiritual life and spiritual teachings in the West, that word self, we've coined it to support our psychological conception of ourselves and of the world. Shakespeare didn't use it that way. It's just the demonstrative pronoun. Himself, herself, yourself, oneself. Polonius in Hamlet says to Laertes, his son, to thine own self be true. But this is a father sending his son off to university in Paris. And he's saying, look after number one, boy. Being a kindly old father. He wasn't saying, to thine own self be true. It's the self, the mind, 
These are constructs of the psychological age and we can do without them in living more consciously. There is no mind. There's a functioning body that has a brain as part of it that is the instrument of our intelligence. And that intelligence is working in us to produce more consciousness and more love and more, more truth, more sense of the real. So I say psychology is dead. And now what is the, the great... What is the greatest thing that psychology defends? Thinking about yourself. So I say stop thinking about yourself. In fact, I say stop thinking, there's no need for it. Do you realise that you only think because you don't know? Do you realise that you only think because you doubt any knowledge that you might have? Shall I say that again? You only think because you doubt any knowledge that you might have. Or you think you've got to acquire knowledge. And therefore you think you must think your way to that knowledge. But actually you don't. Anything you really know, you know because it's in your experience and your intelligence has connected with the fact of your experience and told you that's true, that's, you know this. Anything you need to know, you know without having to think about it. You don't have to think your way to the truth. You've been persuaded to think your way to the truth. I say you, but of course I mean anybody, anybody, anywhere who's caught up in their psychological life is trying to think their way to the truth. Well, that truth might be, did he mean it? Did she mean it? And you go on thinking about that. It gets you nowhere. Nowhere at all. You go round and round in circles, loops of thinking and worrying. Oh, I wonder if that was meant... Well, was he meaning... Thinking your way to the truth leads you away from what you know and it leads you away from knowing the unknown too. It leads you away from knowing the unknown. The unknown is the unknown. Therefore it cannot be known. So let's leave it at that. If it's unknown, it's unknown. I don't know whether what he meant by that. I don't know what she meant by that. Fair enough. I don't need to know then, do I? But if I do need to know something, intelligence harnesses every particle of me to connect me 
with what I know. And there's this amazing creativity in us that the intelligence uses to produce new knowledge. Ah, that's it. Knowledge comes into being, into us, through the connection between intelligence and the natural creativity of, well, the earth itself, the cosmos, and a wider field. Intelligence in us connects with the vitality in us, the life in us, the earth energy in us, and it produces the new. And then we know it as value to us. And none of that requires thought. You can't think about anything that's really important to you without losing its value. If you think about someone who loves you, then by thinking about him, her, eventually you will disconnect from your own love of that person. So, the more you think about your lover, the less you love her. Now, if you look at it, that is the fact of your experience. So can we, can we begin, please, to disabuse ourselves of this belief in the psychological science that defends thinking, working things out? Nothing you've ever tried to work out has ever gone according to the way you planned. It works itself out. And if you put a lot of energy into trying to make it work out the way you want it to work out, sooner or later you'll exhaust yourself or come a cropper of some sort. It's bound to happen. Because intelligence is working it out, whether you like it or not. It's all being worked out, whether you like it or not. But there you go. Let's, let's think our way around this problem, shall we, in case it doesn't work out the way I want it to. That's the psychological strategy for defending against insecurity. But if you live more consciously, trust your intelligence. You trust your intelligence. Now, it takes a long time to train yourself in this way. I know. I've done it. It takes a long time. Because of the times we live in. It's going against the trend. Now, you will probably have already cottoned on to the idea that thinking isn't necessarily a good thing. 
You've probably practiced meditation to try and stop thinking. That's all well and good. But what happens when you stop meditating and go about your ordinary life? The restlessness will return and you have to go and sit down again. And then the restlessness will come back. If you live a more conscious life, you see the truth that thinking is not good and so you don't do it. You trust your intelligence instead. And people say, oh well, got to have planning, got to work things out. Well, I've covered that, haven't I? You can do it. Or you can put some trust in your ability to plan things, to work things out, to come up with a vaccine. A vaccine against restlessness. A vaccine against all the ills of the human condition. Put your trust in that. But our experience tells us that the law of unintended consequences starts to apply. It never works out quite how we plan it or intend it. Let's just leave it at that for the moment. Now, I also said that to contain the restlessness, you have to collect yourself into this moment now and be present here now. And what's a good strategy or tactic, let's say, for doing that? It's to stop telling your story. When you hear yourself telling your story to other people, but mainly to yourself, just see what you're doing. What are you doing? Telling your story. What's the purpose? Do you suppose that there's any good in it? Are you looking for good times in your memory? because you can't connect with good times now? Are you looking for good times in the future because you can't connect with anything good now? Do you realise that there was never, there is never any good in the past? And do you realise that there is no good in the future. It's either good now or it's not. Now, intelligence in you knows that there's, it's only good now. So, you start telling yourself a story about the good times in the past to kind of entertain yourself. Your intelligence, sooner or later, is going to divert that story for you into the not-so-good. 
Now, we're not conscious of this, but intelligence is really working to the good now. And so, as far as the, your intelligence is concerned, any going back over the past is not good. So it's going to remind you of that. And you'll find yourself telling the story in such a way that you you have to skip over the, the less good bits. You have to build up the drama. You have to build up the entertainment value. You have to selectively choose episodes that suit your narrative. And the further you get away from actuality, or what really happened, and the more dramatic you, your story becomes, the further away from the good it is leading you. It's leading you further away from the good. So your intelligence is going to remind you of this and you'll start to find that you're not painting such a nice picture. Oh, this went wrong. Ah, and then that happened. Um, and the story will descend into some kind of tragedy which you'll alleviate or mitigate by making a joke of it. The tragic turns to the comic, the comic to the tragic, and so on. You see, any story that you tell, whether of the past or the future, is going to be a story that turns to a tale of woe. Because your intelligence is always going to try and remind you to come back to where it is good, and it's good here now. So there's no good in the past, there's no good in the future. Like love is not in the past, and not in the future. You may choose to think that you've had a consistent contact with love in the past, and that it was good, and you may want it to go on into the future. But there is no love in the past or the future because they don't exist. So why try and put your love in the past or put your love in the future? Sex, that's in the past. And that, will, of course, will turn, any thought of that will probably in the end turn to shame. Sex in the past. And sex in the future is fantasy. And, and sooner or later that will lead to discontent. Love and sex only come together right now, when it's good. So as you cannot think your way to the truth, you can't feel your way to love either. Because your feelings come from the past or are about the future. I feel I, 
I feel it. I feel. I feel. I feel. Fee. That's not. That's not. That's not it. It's like if you were, say, you're lying in bed at night, and the lights are off. It's very dark. You wake up and you want to get up. You feel your way to the door without turning the lights on. You feel your way with your feet, with your hand perhaps stretched out to the light switch or to the door handle. It's feeling your way. Well, love is not like that. Love is lying in bed, isn't it? In the warmth with your body, in the sweet sensation of rising from sleep. Love is in the body now, here. It doesn't require you to feel your way to it. It's either with you or not with you. She or he is either in the bed with you Oh, their side of the bed's gone cold. And love comes and goes like that. And it's not under your control. It's not under our control. So we can't feel our way to it. Just as we cannot think our way to the truth. The only way to be real the only way to have any contact, to connect yourself with love, truth, reality, is to be in the body, empty-headed, in the situation as it actually happens to be at any moment. And that's the simple, simple truth. And we can't live it because we're caught up in our psychological life, at this rump end of the psychological age that we're living through. But the current crisis is an opportunity to see how we respond to the change that's taking place. And are we going to equip ourselves with the knowledge to change with the times? Or are we going to fall back into the old paradigm and become restless and discontented and anxious and panic-stricken? Now, I've said that to help stop thinking, you have to trust your intelligence and know what you know without doubting what you know. I've said that to bring everything together into one place where you are now, you have to stop telling your story to yourself, to others. And to really 
be here. Connect yourself to everything that you are that is most true, most real. But to connect yourself to the love you are when you are love, when you're in contact with love. Then here's another tip. Learn to listen and pay attention. Pay attention to what's actually happening. When you're having a conversation with somebody, are you giving that person 100% of your attention? 100% of your attention. Or is there a commentary going on, a dialogue going on? Are you thinking of what you want to say? Are you engaging in what practically everybody, I, I guarantee you, is engaged in in the psychological life, which is that they're having a conversation composed of two monologues, two internal monologues. And each one is waiting for the opportunity for the other person to shut up so that they can go on with their monologue. Are you actually listening to what's being said? Because this is one excellent way of training yourself to be with what's, what is and what's changing. You see, if you're listening through your monitor, trying to work out what's being said even, trying to think about what's being said, trying to continue your own interior monologue while the other person is speaking, if you're doing any of those things, then obviously you're not 100% paying attention. But also, you're not giving yourself to the situation, to the extent that you know when it's changed. You have to be able to listen and see what's happening to be able to survive this crisis. And I don't just mean the society crisis. I mean the crisis that uh, our intelligence faces in breaking away from the psychological paradigm to a new one. You have to be able to see what's changing. And you can't see what's changing. You can't pay attention to what's changing. You can't see what's changing if you've got that psychological groove that's like neurological circuits trained to play the same tune, the same old tune, you know, dropping the needle into the old gramophone record, the old LP, the vinyl, playing the same old tune. So I'm offering you three ways of containing yourself, collecting yourself, and connecting with what's most real and true in you. See the truth 
about thinking. Look and see, moment to moment, when you realise that you're thinking too much. Look and see. Do I need to think about this or do I actually know? Do I actually know enough? And if I don't know, can I live with not knowing? And you might find that you do know enough and you can live without knowing. And bit by bit, you will train your brain to break free of those old grooves, those old neurological circuits. And then when you find yourself telling your story, just pull back, quit. Pull back, quit. No, I don't need to. No. It won't be easy because there's a tremendous drive to justify yourself and tell your story. Tremendous psychological pressure. But just pull back a bit, a little bit at a time. This transition is not completed in a single step. Many, many little small steps. Many small steps are required. And then thirdly, when you're having a conversation with somebody, just check, am I actually listening or am I waiting for the opportunity to say something that I want to say? So those three things may help you, even in a small way, to manage the change and manage the restlessness that accompanies this change. It's a restless energy that we're really dealing with here. To a certain extent, this is a natural response to change, this restlessness. But we have to harness the energy of it and turn it to the good, turn it to the creative, take the opportunity to take that energy and use the opportunity to turn it to the good to bring about the new. I'll leave it there for today.